Hello and welcome to a Sunday, April 3rd edition of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast. I'm your host, Harris Kermani, and today we are going to be focusing on two separate slates that make up a massive Sunday for us. It's 12 games altogether, but we are focusing on the two afternoon games starting at 3.30 p.m. and then our big eight-game evening slate, which would be starting at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So lots and lots to talk about as far as DFS is concerned and a lot of implications as we get closer and closer to the end of that playoff race. We're seeing that there's just so much that can still happen as far as standings are concerned, which is great from the perspective of DFS, of knowing a little bit more about the fact that a lot of stars are going to need to play. A lot of key rotation guys are going to be needed to play heavy minutes heading down into the stretch to help either get themselves into that playoff position or to help secure the spot that they currently find themselves in. As always, before we get into that, we're going to talk about our sponsor, Thrive Fantasy, which if you have not joined as of yet, absolutely get on that ASAP. The amount of prizes that they give out just keep increasing on a daily basis. We initially were told it's up to $6 million. It is way past that at this point. But your premier source for daily fantasy prop bets just on over and unders of different player categories on that given night. And as a listener of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast, you just enter the promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S, and get a 100% deposit match up to $100 instantly as you sign up and use that promo code. So sign up and prop up today. Moving right into the slates that we have today. First and foremost, the two-game slate, which includes the Denver Nuggets taking on the LA Lakers, as well as the Detroit Pistons taking on the Indiana Pacers. Now, this is our afternoon slate, and both of these games are very close as far as totals are concerned. And we're going to get right into, first and foremost, the Denver and LA game. Coming in at a 230.5 game total, Denver favored to win by six. And I expect that that line may potentially start moving a bit more towards Denver's side as we get into some of the news that we have gotten. Uh, Starting off with the Denver Nuggets themselves, as far as injury reports are concerned, both Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray continue to be out. Jeff Green has also been ruled out for this game with a personal reason. And then beyond that, Zeke Naji and Victor Conchar continue to be out as well. Vladko Conchar, sorry about that. Not relevant to the rotation as well. But as far as Denver themselves are concerned, it starts front and foremost, as always, with Nikola Jokic. 12,500 in a two-game slate where you are absolutely looking to get as much raw DFS points as possible. And you have Jokic coming in on four straight games back-to-back where he has put 70 or more up. He just continues to solidify himself as the best DFS option night in and night out. And there's just no way you can look past that, especially on a slate of this level of tightness. For Jokic himself, 
Uh, he's had one game against the Lakers so far this season, only had to play 28 minutes in that, but even then was able to go ahead and drop 57 DK points. So I'm going to go ahead and put it out there that he's likely to be the highest raw point scorer today. And given the fact that there is a decent amount of value coming up, especially in that second game, I do see myself being able to get Jokic in pretty much all of my lineups over here. Beyond that, I haven't really been playing too, too much Denver outside of the odd sprinkling of Bones Highland, who pretty much has locked himself into that six-man role for the Denver Nuggets, is consistently playing in that mid to high 20s as far as his minutes are concerned. And for a GPP perspective, for a guy who is sitting at 5,000, definitely something that you can consider. I trust him more than Monte Morris in general, who himself did have a great game in that last one against Minnesota, but by and large, just a little less trustworthy as far as usage and as far as overall kind of points per minute production capability that he has. So Bones Highland's going to be my guy. I've kind of been avoiding much of Aaron Gordon and Will Barton, though Gordon himself has been playing pretty well as of late, but relatively consistent kind of in that mid thirties as far as DFS points are concerned. I'd say he's in a pretty good spot to be able to get to 5x for 6,000, but I feel there's other options that you could potentially look at that have just that little bit more upside, but I wouldn't fault you for taking him at all. Moving on to the Lakers side, you have first and foremost, LeBron James, who has been ruled out unavailable with his ankle, and that's huge news as far as the Los Angeles Lakers are concerned. We know that they're one game out of the play-in tournament at the moment, and with only a week left in the season, they cannot afford any games to not go their way at this point. So to not have LeBron James available for a big game against the Denver Nuggets at home where the Lakers absolutely need to pull it out, that's going to be a massive blow to their chances. But on the positive hand, Anthony Davis has been ruled available. And at 9,200, he's definitely going to be the pick for me as far as the LA Lakers are concerned. Looked great in his first game back, even though the Lakers did have a heartbreaking loss in that one as well. But played 37 minutes, put up 50 DK points, and had a great line with 23, 12, and 6, which included, as I said, six assists in that. So that's great news as far as his usage is concerned. And at 9,200, he should be absolutely looking to feast on a lineup that outside of Jokic, who himself isn't a defensive stalwart, let's be clear about that. But outside of that, just not much size to be able to go ahead and handle the amount of offensive versatility that someone like an Anthony Davis does have. So he's definitely going to be my top pick as far as the Lakers are concerned. I've been avoiding Westbrook pretty much this whole season. 8,800 isn't a bad price for him, given the fact that he's likely going to find himself with that second most usage. But in general, it's just hard to trust him being able to come out and put the kind of performance that we need on the board. At 8,800, you need him to be putting up somewhere in the mid-40s. And frankly, even in games where he's pretty much either been alone or with just one of either Anthony Davis or LeBron James, he's still not consistently been able to get to kind of that 50-ish point mark, which is what you're hoping for when you get a Russell Westbrook in there. Outside of that... Not really too, too much interest. Malik Monk is the only one that ever peaks it in general for me. Uh, he's, again, coming off another solid performance, 33.25 in that last game against the Pelicans, and has kind of been very much locked in in that low to mid-30s, which at 5500 it's a pretty good price tag for you to be able to take advantage of that. That's anywhere between 6 to 7x potential for him. So 
5,500, that may be where you're looking to go. But this, this first matchup to me is going to be more stud-based where you have Nikola Jokic, you have Anthony Davis to be able to kind of take up the big mantle of the guys you're going to build your lineup around. And it's going to be more looking towards that Detroit-Indiana game where there is a lot of value that is going to be available for you to be able to take advantage of. So let's move right on into that game. First and foremost, we're looking at a 233 game total for this with the Indiana Pacers favored to win by three. So a closer game and a higher scoring game than what the Nuggets and Lakers game is projected to be at. So definitely something to keep in mind when we're going about making our lineups. As far as Detroit themselves is concerned, a couple of key injuries to be able to talk about here. First and foremost, Jeremy Grant continues to be out and will be out for the remainder of the season, as was reported earlier in the week. Marvin Bagley has also been ruled out for the Sunday game as well. Uh, Hamido Diallo is out, as we know. Corey Joseph is listed as questionable, though closer to doubtful. And Luca Garza is also listed as questionable. The real big question, though, comes with Kate Cunningham, who only played Eight minutes in that last game has been bothered by a hip injury on his end. So we're going to have to see if he's able to go ahead and make his way onto the floor for this game against Indiana. Now, of course, Detroit on their end, much like Indiana, don't have much to play for as far as any sort of positioning is concerned. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him continue to sit out. In fact, he may sit out for a good amount of the remaining games as far as Detroit's concerned, just to ensure that there's no... A long-term issue as far as his hip is concerned. So if that happens, we're going to be very much in that same kind of fantasy lottery situation that we ended up having last week as well, which allowed guys like Killian Hayes to be able to go ahead and play 40 minutes and put up one of his best lines of the season. I'm actually you know, looking forward to seeing if that is something that he does again at 5,900. I'm not super, super excited to be able to jump in on a guy who's had his offensive struggles, not only this season, but throughout his career. And for him to put up the line that he did, which was 26, seven and eight, and more shockingly five steals and two blocks. And he's been on a steals fest over the last three games in which he's racked up 12 steals in that time. So wouldn't necessarily see myself jumping to that to see it continuing. And he has gotten a pretty decent price jump over to that 5,900 mark, which takes a little bit of that shine away. But if he's going to be playing the kind of minutes that he got last time around with the kind of usage, he's definitely someone to keep in mind. However, as far as the guards are concerned, I have much more interest in a Frank Jackson and a Saban Lee, both of which are sitting at 37 and 3,800 respectively. Both of them got significant usage bumps on their end when Cade Cunningham went out, played 32 minutes in the case of Frank Jackson, was able to put up 26 points. And that's really what you get with Frank Jackson. You know he's not going to have much as far as ancillary stats are concerned, but he is able to go ahead and put up a lot of points in a hurry and get up a lot of shot attempts in a hurry as well, which is really okay considering 3700 is pretty bargain basement as far as his price tag is concerned. I'd be... Pretty confident going in with him if we do see that Cade uh, rule out get confirmed. So keep an eye out on that for sure. And again, the fact that this is the second game of the night means that we may not potentially get the Cade news until closer to the actual tip-off time, which means you may want to leave a little bit of a buffer as far as your uh, lineups are concerned in one of the kind of forward slash utility spots 
one of those areas where you can go ahead and jump in and get a Saban Lee, a Frank Jackson involved if we do see the uh, Cade Cunningham news get confirmed. Beyond that, uh, Sadiq Bey at 7,000 is someone that I have continued to avoid. Again, only played six minutes in that last game. He isn't on the injury report coming into here, but we're going to have to see how many minutes he goes about and sees himself on the floor for this one. Moving on to the Indiana Pacers, though, as far as their injury report is concerned, we have Malcolm Brogdon, who has been listed as questionable, but really he has now missed seven straight games due to rest, and I don't expect him to really be hurried back onto the floor. And much like Detroit, Indiana have nothing to play for, so there's really no reason for them to get him back on the floor if they don't absolutely need it. Goga Batatze is the other one who's also listed questionable, and Frankly, he's been listed questionable pretty much every game that he comes in, but he is able to get on the floor more often than not. So I'd say I'm more leaning towards him getting himself on the floor, but we're going to have to see where that pans out. Beyond that, Miles Turner, Chris Duarte, TJ McConnell, Rubio, Warren, all those guys are continuing to be ruled out as well. So we're going to have to see where that ends up figuring itself out as far as the Indiana Pacers are concerned. Really what we're looking at, first and foremost, with the Pacers is how much you trust Tyrese Halliburton, not only to get the kind of minutes that you potentially need from him, but for him to put up the kind of performance that you need from him at his 9300 price tag. I wouldn't put it past him to have a big game here against the Detroit Pistons team that isn't all that great defensively, but in the two games that he has played this season, he's played significant minutes but hasn't really gotten that big game in there. Has averaged 36 DK points in the two matchups there. And though he is coming in relatively hot of two, uh, three straight games in which he's over 40, one of them being close to 60 as far as DK points are concerned, not necessarily the most exciting play for me here. I'm actually more interested in looking at some of these mid-tier ancillary pieces. First and foremost, I'm looking at Buddy Heald. First and foremost, at 6,700, he is at a price tag that has been taking a bit of a nosedive over the last couple of games now in which his usage, and less so than that, his outside shot has been giving him that little bit of trouble. Really, we know with Buddy Heald what you're going to get. That is a lot of instant offense, and more so with the Indiana Pacers move, he's become more of a facilitating point guard as well. It's not so far off from where he dropped you know, 43 against uh, against the Atlanta Hawks in a fast-paced game there. I expect this one to also be a high-scoring one where he'll get his shots going. He won't be going 2 of 10 as he was against the Boston's stifling defense. So we may see a little bit more openness as far as his offense is concerned. And especially if we are continuing to see the uh, the Malcolm Brogdon misses and you know, Halliburton being more of a facilitator rather than a shot taker, we're going to see Buddy Hill be on the receiving end of a lot of those passes. So definitely interested in taking him as far as my mid-tier pick is concerned. And beyond that, between Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson, I've always kind of been here and there. I'm not necessarily huge on kind of their potential upside at this given time, especially given the playing time seems to be going mostly towards Goga Batatze, who at 6,100 would probably be the more exciting of the three picks to be able to take if he is able to go ahead and get on the floor. So keep an eye out for that. While O'Shea Brissett continues to play massive minutes, but really his usage is on and off there as well. His outside shot, if that gets going, that can usually help get him to that 5x value. But his overall lack of ancillary stats other than rebounds does hold him back as far as being a smash pick. 
But that's it as far as the two-game afternoon slate is concerned. And as far as tier lists are concerned here, I'm going to say that from an expensive standpoint, Anthony Davis is actually going to be my most liked and stud at 9,200 with, with LeBron James sitting out with Westbrook being definitely secondary to Anthony Davis when he's on the floor where we might see a lot more ball handling opportunities with him as well. But again, I talked about the Denver LA game being one where you're going to take the two studs. You're definitely taking Jokic, but I would say make sure you take Anthony Davis given what we're seeing as far as his health is concerned and given how good he looked in this first game back. As far as my mid-tier is concerned, there's a couple of good, decent options over here. You know, we spoke about on the uh, Detroit and Indiana side, you know, you have Buddy Hill sitting there for 6700 but I'm going to say that Bones Highland on the Denver side at 5000 is going to be the guy that I'm going to keep going back to by and large. His role is very much secure. His offense has been solid. And even though he hasn't necessarily shot the lights out as far as the three ball is concerned, only four of 19 in his last two games, those attempts that he's getting are really what's important over here. And I expect he's going to get himself back on track as far as that part of his offense is concerned. Finally, as far as the value tier is concerned, that Indiana, that Detroit side is going to be where I'm focused in on. We'll have to see what the Cade news is, but in general, both Saban Lee and Frank Jackson are going to be kind of the main guys that I'm really looking at as far as value is concerned for the Detroit Pistons. I do expect that you know, regardless of how things work, we're going to get the opportunity to see Frank Jackson at least come on the floor and take all the shots that he's able to just because they're going to need that offense. In general, with uh, both Jeremy Grant and Hamido Diallo being out, as well as Marvin Bagley. So that's just a lot of shots that need to be taken elsewhere. And Frank Jackson being one of the better offensive options on that team is going to be where the focus comes in on for them. Moving on to the evening slate now, which is going to be focused on eight games that take place starting at 6 p.m., and there are a lot of big games happening tonight, and there's going to be a lot of focus on where exactly our value is going to be, because there are clear games in which the point total is markedly higher than some of the other ones that are happening in the slate, but the point spread is also high as well. So lots of decisions to be able to make as far as that is concerned. Starting off with the first one in which Philadelphia goes to Cleveland to take on the Cavaliers with a game total of 224.5 and the 76ers favored to win by four. As far as Philly is concerned, the injury report is by and large clean with the caveat of Joel Embiid being listed questionable for Sunday's game with left ankle soreness. So we're going to have to take a look and see if he is able to make himself available and get on the floor as Philadelphia continues to kind of work its way into its final spot in the playoffs and the postseason as well. Still a lot to be figured out as far as you know where that top, really top six is going to end up. Really not many games between them, just three and a half between uh, second all the way up to six. So movement can still happen there. And Philadelphia currently sitting in fourth would definitely like to get that third spot back against the Celtics. So I expect them to go hard in each game. And if Embiid is not feeling uh, too, too bad as far as his soreness is concerned, I expect he will be seen on the floor. But we're going to have to go ahead and wait for the news with that. That being said, being the 6 p.m. game, you'll likely find that out first. So good news as far as people who may want to play Embiid. 
But if he is out, then absolutely James Harden is going to be one of the big stud picks of the night. Apart from the fact that he's done well against Cleveland, who he's played already five times this season, averaging nearly 50 DK points up against them. And he's just going to be on another level as far as usage is concerned if Embiid does have to sit out. So he would definitely become one of the top studs on the slate. And he himself has been struggling a little bit with his shot in the last two games. He's only hit 4 of 10 and 4 of 15 in the last two games that he's played. That Charlotte one especially, he turned himself into a lot more of a facilitator, not taking most of the shots that we have otherwise seen James Harden take. So we'll likely see his field goal attempts get back to a level of normalcy in this game up against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So at 10,400, definitely one of those guys that you want to keep in mind. And it just becomes even more so if the rest of the 76ers are sitting out for that game. As far as Cleveland is concerned, a lot more as far as their injury reports are concerned. Uh, Evan Mobley continues to be out, has been ruled out with his ankle this game as well. That's four straight games that he's going to be missing. Jared Allen is also ruled out for that game. Now, as far as the rest of the Cavaliers are concerned, we have Rajon Rondo also sitting out questionable, and Dean Wade continues to be out. Less so important as far as their rotation is concerned. But it starts and ends with Darius Garland for them. He himself has been pretty much the one-man offensive machine for this Cleveland Cavaliers team. Has had three games against the Philadelphia 76ers already this season, putting up 46 DK points in those ones there, which definitely speaks to his potential upside as far as this matchup is concerned. That being said, this is one of the relatively speaking, lower point scores games in this night. So Jer- Darius Garland, for his price tag, is probably pretty appropriately priced for where he should be, and I'm less interested in taking him. But the other side of Karis Levert, who has gotten off his minutes restriction, played 36 minutes in that last game against the New York Knicks, putting up 40 DK points in that, and that's really been kind of that area of where there is upside that I'm looking to go ahead and take advantage of. Other than that Atlanta game, which was a blowout in between as well, his minutes are up, his usage is up, and more importantly, his shot percentages are also starting to come back to their normalcy as well. Two out of the last three games now has put up over 40 DK points at 6,500. There is a lot to like as far as his price tag and his upside is concerned. So definitely looking a good bit into him. And with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen ruled out, we've seen Moses Brown just be an an absolute tank in the two games that he has played. Double-doubles in both of them put up 34 and 35 DK points respectively, and I expect him to be pretty chalky for his price tag as well. Obviously, with Joel Embiid, if he is playing on the other side, that does make things that little bit more difficult for a Moses Brown to be able to handle that kind of a defensive assignment. But at that price tag... You know that he's going to be the guy racking up the vast majority of the boards with both Kevin Love and Markkanen content to be able to play a lot more on the perimeter, not really crashing the glass nearly as often as Moses Brown does. So looking into him to be able to be a pretty solid pick as well. And for those who are in GPP and want to be able to take a little bit of a stab, Chetty Osman is always in play for that. 36 and a half in two games ago against Atlanta, put 20 up against New York as well. His minutes are always slightly up and down, but if he can get even slightly hot on the offensive end, he'll often pay off his price tag to the tune of 6x, 7x. So from a value perspective, definitely someone that you want to potentially keep in mind if you're looking for that GPP pivot to round out your lineup. 
Moving on to the New York and Orlando game in which the New York Knicks are favored by four and a half points on a 216 and a half game total as well. As far as the Knicks are concerned, Julius Randle has been ruled out and he's going to be forced to miss the remainder of the season as we found out as of yesterday. So that's a huge blow to the Knicks themselves, but not thoroughly unexpected given how badly the season has gone and really the fact that they have not much to play for for the remainder of the games that they have left. Derek Rose is also listed out. And on the other hand, Quentin Grimes, Nerlens Noel, Cam Reddish, Campbell Walker, all of them are listed out as well. Though Quentin Grimes has been um, put up to questionable. So we'll see if he does get on the floor, though not a huge impact on rotations either way. For the New York Knicks, Really, as far as I have been looking, it's always been in that mid-tier for them. R.J. Barrett, as solid as he has been at 7,900, even with the usage that he has been getting, has been relatively up and down as far as his performances are concerned. And apart from the fact that he dropped that 54 and 40 back-to-back earlier on in March, he's kind of been sitting around that mid-30s pretty consistently. And that's really where you'd expect RJ Barrett to essentially operate for the vast majority of his games. And his price tag just makes it relatively fairly priced for that. I wouldn't really be looking for that, especially in the fact that you've got a much bigger slate over here with a lot of positive options. That being said, both Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are definitely in play. Obi Toppin especially has jumped right into those minutes anytime Julius Randle has been ruled out and he's likely to be a solid option for the remainder of the season. He has seen a little bit of a price hike coming off that 33 DK points game against Cleveland, but I expect him to have a pretty solid game here against Orlando. He's going to get all the minutes that he can handle and the fact that he'll often get pretty decent ancillary stats as far as his rebounding is concerned and the odd stock, his shot attempts will often make up for the rest of it. So at 5,200, looking for him to drop somewhere in the 30s yet again, as far as DK points are concerned, definitely a big in-play option for me. And that goes for Emmanuel quickly as well. For him, it's always been whether the minutes are available and now they absolutely have been. He's pretty much rocked himself into that 30-ish minute roll. Uh, last game put up a 40 DK point gem for 5,100. Has seen his price tag rise slightly from there up to 54, which is still a great spot for someone who's taking anywhere between 12 to 17 shots a game on average for this offense that really needs whatever spark it can get, especially from the outside. So I expect Emmanuel quickly to continue to get those kind of minutes for the remainder of the season, allow the Knicks to see exactly what they want to kind of focus on as far as their next season's concerned. Obviously, this one has been a big disappointment for them, given how many steps they took last year. So we'll see if quickly can continue to establish himself as a reliable offensive option for them. As far as the Orlando Magic are concerned, with their injury report, Wendell Carter Jr. has been listed out. Both Cole Anthony and Franz Wagner are listed as questionable Uh, We saw that uh, Cole Anthony sprained his toe in that last game on Friday against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, We'll see if he's able to go ahead and make it on the floor, because if not, that does open quite a few potential options as far as other guards and other forwards are concerned for the Orlando Magic. And that goes same for Franz Wagner as well, especially because Jalen Suggs has also been ruled out. So really, you're looking at the bottom of the barrel as far as the Orlando Magic rotation is concerned. We'll have to see how much they can stay with the New York Knicks, which at the moment 
and is looking like a four and a half game spread, but I expect that if Cole Anthony does get fully ruled out as well as Franz Wagner, that's going to move a lot more towards the New York Knicks. That being said, both Markel Fultz and RJ Hampton are going to be absolutely in play as a result of that. Markel Fultz at 4,600 still hasn't really played that big minutes game yet. We'll have to see if he's able to go ahead and play a few more if we do see that uh, all these uh, other main rotation guys for the Magic are ruled out. If he can get himself even into that 25-minute mark, he's absolutely going to kill his value as he has been regardless in 20 minutes a game for the last four games now in which he hasn't had a game below 21 DK points and has gotten up to 42 DK points in one game as well. So you know, there's a lot to like as far as his actual game is concerned. It's the minutes that continue to be that worry as far as his upside is. So definitely something to keep in mind and we'll see if anything changes on that end. On the other hand, RJ Hampton, who will play a lot of minutes, played 28 minutes in the last game as well, but his offense has been a little bit more on the lacking side. So that kind of caps as far as his DFS upside is concerned. But at 3,600, a lot to like from a cheap value pick option that is likely to start and play significant minutes if we do see that both, uh, both Franz Wagner and Cole Anthony do get ruled out. So definitely keep an eye out on that. 6 p.m. game, the first one. So you'll get that information and that opportunity prior to lock of the first game. So definitely something to keep track of there. As far as the next game is concerned, we have the highest game total of the night and one of the higher game totals of the season in general when Minnesota take on Houston. 243.5 with Minnesota currently favored to win by a whopping 13 points. And really what that does is make it really worrisome to spend up on any of the Minnesota Timberwolves, just given the fact that we know how Houston plays. We know someone is going to have to score as far as uh, Minnesota is concerned. And Carl and Anthony Towns specifically has absolutely feasted in the two games that he's gone up against the Houston Rockets to the tune of 60 DK points on average. So, at 9,600, I cannot fault you for wanting to look at Carl Anthony Towns, but in general, that spread is scaring me a little bit too much for me to look into really any of the major guys here. Because you know, in general, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell are all usually great plays for their price tags. A little bit more so D'Angelo than Anthony Edwards, given the fact that he's $1,000 cheaper. But just in general, there's just a worry about who is going to actually need to play those kind of minutes. Pretty much Houston is sitting at 30th in defense on all of the major positions in the um, in the league. And that means that there's just going to be so much room to operate for all of these guys. So as long as Houston can even keep it somewhat close, then you'll likely do quite well with any of these Minnesota guys. So that may be one of those pivots that you put out there as one of your other lineups in which you have a little bit more exposure to the Minnesota side because the matchups and the price tags are great. It's just the game total that makes you worry. On the Houston side itself, as far as injuries are concerned for them, Christian Wood has been ruled out and is going to be shut down for the remainder of the season, as we have been told. Dennis Schroeder as well, with his shoulder, was also shut down for the remainder of the season. And that extends over to Eric Gordon as well. So in general, we're seeing exactly what we've been seeing up until now, which is the Kevin Porter Jr. and the Jalen Green show. Now, Kevin Porter, on one hand, has been just on an absolute tear as of late. 8400 is a hefty price tag to pay for a guy who has historically been pretty inconsistent as far as his performances are concerned, but is now coming in hot 
three games in which he's drawn 52, 70, and 59 DK points respectively. And as I said, as much as the worry is there from the Minnesota side about if they're going to need to play, in general, Houston, they know they're in a bad way as far as their rotation is concerned and their game totals are concerned. So they end up playing their guys the minutes that they need to regardless anyway. So that definitely makes it so that both uh, Jalen Green as well as Kevin Porter Jr. are in play, though their price tags, as I said, do give a little bit of pause. The other area to potentially look at is their front court rotation with Christian Wood getting ruled out. We've been seeing a little bit more minutes, not only Sangoon, who's getting himself near to 30, but it was Bruno Fernando in the last two games now, in which he's played 22 and 18 minutes respectively. But at his bargain bottom price tag at that time, it put up 34 and 29 DK points respectively, which gave him great upside in that 3000 mark. But now he's seen a bump up to 4200, which unless I see that his minutes are getting a significant bump or that he's getting that opportunity to be able to start that a little bit more, that's going to be where I have a bit more interest in him. But until now, that is going to be an area that I choose to stay away from. Just not, uh, not a fan ever of taking guys who just aren't in a minute situation that you potentially like. So definitely keep in mind the fact that, uh, you know, they've been starting Usman Garuba instead, where he got ahead and played uh, 25 minutes in that last game, but really didn't do all that much with his minutes there, nor has he really shown real flashes as far as his offense is concerned, though he can grab a lot of boards. So perhaps Bruno Fernando will get more of an opportunity. And if he starts, definitely someone that I'm keeping an eye on. But the Rockets may very well just stick with their rookie in Garuba and keep starting him and see what it is that they can develop him into. As far as the next game, which is Phoenix taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder, this is one in which Phoenix is favored to win by 14 in a 221 and a half game total. And that is 14 even with the rest that we're seeing for uh, quite a bit of the Phoenix Suns that are coming up here. So that does open up a little bit of interest as far as ancillary pieces for them is concerned. In terms of who is out, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, Frank Kaminsky, all of them are continued to be ruled out for this game as they sit out for rest purposes. I mean, it makes sense. They're very nicely locked in into their first seed, have put up an excellent season. So now it's all going to be whether they can carry that momentum forward from their 61 season into a successful postseason after their finals run last year. Having said, Chris Paul at the moment has not been listed as being ruled out or anything. So if he is actually playing and has that lone starting guy alongside Mikael Burgess, there's a lot of interest there for a guy who's 8,200 in a matchup in which there's a little bit of that, uh, I wouldn't say revenge narrative, because Chris Paul was just so well-loved in OKC, did so much for them in terms of developing Shea Gilgis-Alexander and a number of their other young pieces, and then he left on pretty, I'd say, mutually amicable terms. So maybe there's not much of that. That being said, it is against his old team, which is always a fun thing to be able to go back and just show him exactly what you still got on your side. And he hasn't really had that, or hasn't needed to have that big game against OKC yet. So at 8,200, I may have interest in him to be able to take a little bit more. But in general, I do think the ancillary pieces here do get more of an opportunity to go out and actually do their thing. So Cameron Payne at 4,600, 4,700, sorry, Cam Johnson at 4,600. Both of them are definitely in play for the fact that they not only bring a decent amount of offense on their end, but 
in positions in which there is very little depth. Otherwise, I could see them getting a couple more minutes in this kind of a game to be able to kind of close it out early. And then after that, you can just play with the rest of the bottom of the bench and not have to worry about it. But for at least three quarters, I expect them to get significant minutes there, which at their respective price tags, definitely more of a interest there rather than going up with a Mikhail Bridges who at 5,800 is kind of a bit too much of what I want to pay given the matchup here. And then as I said, Chris Paul would be the one area I'm potentially looking at, but I kind of have a feeling that we may get more news about uh, him also potentially resting. But of course, 7 p.m. is when that game comes up. So we'll have to see what that ends up meaning for the Phoenix Suns. As far as OKC is concerned, Shea is out. Josh Giddy is out, which by the way, Shea out for the remainder of the season. So definitely keep that there. Uh, we know Dort is also out uh, for the season. We know that Trey Mann is out with his hamstring. Darius Baisley is also out. So there's just so much as far as they have on their roster that really has just been a grand total of like three guys that are doing the vast majority of the lifting for OKC. And that's come in the in the face of Theo Melodon, Alexei Pokashevsky, and um, and uh, Isaiah Roby. Now, Pokashevsky himself is listed as questionable for this game with an illness as well. So we're going to have to see if he's able to go ahead and get himself on the floor. Otherwise, we're going to see more of Lindy Waters III, who's had uh, two solid games now coming in. And at his price tag, definitely has been something of interest now, Theo Melodon at 7,400 has been on an absolute tear as of late with coming a 50.5 game against Detroit in that last one. And in general, as long as his minutes are up, he's been putting in all that work with the usage and has had no one else to deal with as far as having the green light on his end. So not a concern whatsoever as far as his usage is there. And, as, and even though his price tag has taken a pretty significant bump over the last three games, coming up from 4,500 now all the way up to 7,400 after two more solid performances. So that's a little bit of a pause there, but I actually think this is another good game for you to be able to go ahead and jump in on him with people perhaps going away from that price tag in a bigger slate. I expect he'll still get all the usage that he needs between him and Isaiah Roby. Uh, both of them have been getting significant amount of minutes, usage, all of that now. But I do like taking a Theo Melodon a little bit more. And then, as I said, Lindy Waters the third, who's likely going to see his minutes continue to increase as we get to that kind of silly season point of the end of the regular season. He got up to uh, 33 minutes two games ago. And in that Detroit game, Played quite well, even though it was just 23 minutes to be able to go ahead and put up 32 DK points in that one. So I expect that we'll see OKC continue to lean on him that little bit more until the end of the season itself. It's just how it goes. And I expect that in a slate like this, you always get that one random guy who just absolutely goes off. And I would put my money on it that it would be someone from OKC that is going to be the one to be able to do that on a slate like this. So definitely something to keep in mind as we get into these teams later on into the slate. There's just going to be a lot of one-off performances from guys that aren't getting consistent minutes, but that's just how silly season goes. So you just have to kind of roll with the punches as far as that comes along. Speaking of silly season and random guys continuing to go off, Going to the Portland and San Antonio Spurs game over here in a 231 game total. San Antonio Spurs slated to win this one also by 14. So that is the third double digit spread game that we're seeing on this 8 p.m. slate. So just a lot 
of variability that that naturally brings because it's going to mean guys continue to come into the rotation, come into minutes that aren't necessarily something that you can project out for. It's just how it ends up working. But as far as Portland's concerned and their injury report, at this point, it's more about asking who isn't injured. With Lillard, Nurkic, Josh Hart, Anthony Simons, Trendon Watford, Justice Winslow, Nasir Little, Eric Bledsoe, Cody Zeller, Dennis Smith Jr., and Joe Ingles all out. That is a whole squad and a half that's already out over there. So really what that leaves us with is Devin Eubanks continuing to get starters minutes, big minutes, has gotten his price tag up to 7400 at this point now, which is a little bit of a drop from what we had been seeing in the last two games there where he had reached into that 8000 mark on the back of that 60 DFS point game that he had against the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Now at 7400 I just think there's better front court options to be able to look at overall, but I wouldn't put it past it in a game in which anything can happen that Devin Eubanks continues against a Spurs team that then themselves are going to be going hard at this because they are 10th seed over there, one game above the Lakers. The Lakers have that game earlier against the Denver Nuggets with LeBron out, could be finding themselves in an uphill battle. So the Spurs will be looking to consolidate their position and ensure that they get a slot in that play-in tournament. So we're going to have to see how that ends up working out. But between the Portland Trailblazers with Devin Eubanks and then their guards running with Brent Williams, who has been playing significantly, not only significant minutes, but significantly well for the last say week and a half at this point now. Again, though, price tag up at 6600 does take a little bit of that shine away from everything else that we see, but we just know that he has the capability to be able to drop a big night. Again, that OKC game, which was a massively high-scoring one, so I don't want to read too, too much into that, but not too far away in which he dropped 58 DK points in that one, and he's already had a couple of other games in this late-season stretch for him in which he's surpassed 40 pretty regularly as well. So definitely for 6,600 is going to be a guy that's going to be in play for the Portland Trailblazers because the rest of the rotation has just been incredibly wonky as we try to figure out exactly who is going to be playing on a night in night out basis. And we just saw this matchup, you know, a couple of days ago, and really we saw the Portland Trailblazers go all the way up into about 13 players as far as their rotation is concerned. So really not much that you can potentially think about as far as who is going to be the consistent guy to play. I would say regularly that <clears throat> Keon Johnson has been a guy that I have played you know, a relative number of times just when he has gotten the opportunity to be able to start. He did start a shooting guard in the last game with the Spurs as well, was able to drop 32 DK points in that one at 4,900. Someone to keep in mind. And CJ Ellaby, who came, who's was coming off actually a pretty bad game up against the Spurs, but had been relatively consistent before then uh, to be able to get into that kind of mid-20s to early 30s mark relatively consistently as well is another one to think about for his 5,000 price tag. Beyond that, I just don't trust the guards of uh, of Portland beyond Brendan Williams to play significant minutes. Chris Dunn, yes, got to play 23 minutes in the last one, did pretty well there. But again, his minutes has also been up and down in that 25 mark by and large. That caps a little bit of his upside there, but at 4,800, you're able to go ahead and take that shot and see if it goes well. Greg Brown is the other one who got to start last game at power forward, dropped 30 DK points on there. Again, someone to look at in terms of if he gets a start once again, I do expect that to be the case. And in terms of value plays, he's probably the one guy that I'd be looking at from the front court of the Portland Trailblazers as someone I could see myself playing if the rest of my lineup did work out to be that way. 
onto the San Antonio Spurs side. It's really just the DeJounte Murray one that we have to keep an eye out over here. We did see that he was held out of the last game with his illness, and he is now once again questionable with that one. So regardless if he plays or not, I just... As much as I love DeJounte Murray and I have been playing him a lot throughout the season, there's just too much to be concerned about as far as a blowout goes for this game for me to look to spend 11200 on his price tag or frankly, any of the major price tags as far as the Spurs themselves are concerned. I do think they're all relatively fairly priced at this one. The only one that I see as having any sort of upside at all is Devin Vassell at 5500 So we're going to have to see if that's potentially something to be able to look at. But again... Of all the guys that the Spurs have been consistently playing, I expect all of them to get in into that kind of mid-20s to early 30 minutes mark at the most in a game that's likely not to be all that close. We got to see this game uh, just a few days ago, and the Spurs just absolutely ran the Blazers out the building on a 19-point game there as well. And I don't expect too, too much to change on that end either. So by and large, I am avoiding the San Antonio Spurs, and we can move on to a more competitive game and one that is going to be Super emotional for yours truly, because I'm going to be there, with Miami coming to Toronto, Kyle Lowry's return, the first time back since the trade over to the Miami Heat. And for those who have been following Twitter, you can see that a statue of Kyle Lowry, very well deserved, has been erected. It's going to be put outside Scotiabank Arena with him in his final pose as the Raptors lifted their 2019 championship so lots of emotions that are going to go through the game tonight but as far as the game itself is concerned I do expect it to be an emotional roller coaster all the way through even though the points total isn't all that high I do expect that the starters are going to be seeing significant run over here as both these teams have a lot to play for as far as their positioning is concerned Miami will of course be looking to kind of solidify that first spot that first seed for them. They're one and a half games ahead of the Milwaukee Bucks heading into the last four games of the season for them. So they wouldn't want to lose any more than they have. That being said, Jimmy Butler is going to be out for this game with his uh, with his toe and it's not going to be coming out there, which means that we're going to see yet again more of that usage come through as far as the rest of the rotation is concerned. As far as the points total is concerned, this is a 213.5 game with the Toronto Raptors favored to win by 5.5. On the Miami Heat side, anytime Jimmy Butler goes out, that automatically brings in both Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry here for me. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how Kyle Lowry comes out and plays in this game. Had two great games in a row now against two tough oppositions in Boston and Chicago, and his price tag has taken a little bit of a jump as a result of that. He had gotten all the way down to 5700 which I thought was way too cheap, and I did end up playing a good bit of him against that Chicago matchup. Worked out well there. I do see myself playing him here as well. Again, at 6400 there's just lots of upside here with that price tag, especially with Jimmy Butler out. You usually see Kyle Lowry shot attempts also take a positive uptick, getting into that mid to low to mid-teens as far as uh, field goal attempts are concerned. So lots to like there. And we know his assists are always in play. Uh, Tyler Hero as well, 6500 Between him and Kyle Lowry at their respective price tags, I'll probably like Kyle Lowry a little bit more just because of you know everything that goes with the night 
Of course, Kyle Lowry is going to be just showered with incredible amounts of love from everything that's happening with the fans, and I can expect him to uh, play up to it as well if he doesn't get uh, just a little bit too emotional about it. We'll see how it all ends up going. So between Hero and Lowry, that's going to be kind of the major areas I'm looking at. Uh, Bam, on the other hand, at 8,300, has always done well against the Toronto Raptors, uh, has taken advantage of that front court, which we continue to speak about as an Achilles heel for the Raptors' defense, which is otherwise incredibly stifling. But they do have struggles with skilled big men. And Bam Adebayo is absolutely that. So at 8,300, in terms of front court, he's definitely going to be one of the guys that I am liking most as far as my front court picks are concerned in this matchup, especially with uh, some of the other major front court guys being either questionable or in matchups that aren't scheduled to be all that close. Bam by all of those eliminations does end up rising to the top of that. Uh, beyond that, I haven't really uh, taken too many other heat there. Uh, you know, Oladipo is still on his minutes limit. I don't trust much of the uh, remainder of the rotation. So it's really going to be mostly Hero and Lowry with the rest of Bam to make up as well. Moving on to the Toronto side, uh, their injuries are good to go by and large. Uh, it's just Malachi Flynn with his hamstring that continues to be out. He hasn't played for the vast amount of March, basically, and his hamstring continues to be uh, holding him out over there. Uh, Yuta Watanabe is also out with uh, his quadriceps and Really, he's questionable, but I don't expect him to play, nor if he does, has he been a significant part of the rotation in general. So it's really the usual suspects as far as the Toronto Raptors are concerned. And really, all of them, when everyone is healthy, is just incredibly appropriately priced. And just going back to the well, with exactly what I've been saying with the rest of the rotation, it's the uh, Gary Trent and OG Ananobi where I always look at for potential upside. OG especially... His price tag is going to start to eventually come around as he continues to get more and more confident with his offense, with everything else, as he comes back fully from his injury now. We've seen that the minutes are back to exactly where they should be. His uh, shot is going up with confidence. He just needs to have that really big game to really announce himself back on the roster here. And this could very well be one of those matchups to be able to do that. Uh, He has played three games already against Miami. He's done relatively well in the ones that are there. 34 DK points on average has shot about 45% from the field and the rest of his ancillary stats have been decent as well. And that's really what you get from OG. Just a little bit of everything. He's never going to be the guy to go out and put up, you know, 20, 25 shot attempts. That's just not his game, but the rest of it will often kind of work itself out to a pretty solid Swiss army knife line. So in general, he's probably the guy that I'm going to be looking to target most at his price tag of 5,900 between the other Raptors. And I'll probably, as always, just continue to be playing Gary Trent, who, you know, as much as he can have his off games and on games, by and large, I'd say he's just been so good for the majority of the season for the Toronto Raptors. And in fact, when everyone is healthy, he's usually the one that kind of becomes that X factor to get those shot attempts that come from the gravity that gets created by Siakam and Van Vliet as they go ahead and attack the paint. So I do expect him to get a number of open looks over here today. We'll see if he can go ahead and capitalize on that. And then Siakam at 9,500. Again, we've seen that there's not that many great matchups that you're looking to target and pay up for. Uh, Siakam in this matchup has done extremely well in the three games that he's played against the Miami Heat. Even though his shot percentages have not been there, the rest of his game has. He's got four steals a game on average in the three games that he's played in almost two blocks as well. So Ben huge on the disruptive defensive side of his game to be able to put up 54 DK points on average against them. So if he can get his shot percentages to get 
somewhere close to his season average because he's shooting 40% from the field and 25% from three against the Miami Heat. If he can even get that into the mid 40s and a couple more three-point attempts, which by the way, has been an area of his game that's just been on absolute fire outside of these last three that he's uh, gone back to a little bit of struggle, but it wasn't too far ago that he went ahead and dropped six on the, the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. And then before that one had been sitting at about 40% for the month of March. So definitely something to keep in mind. And if he can get himself turned around on that end, I expect him to have a big game as well as Fred Van Vliet, who at 8,200 is also in a pretty decent spot as far as his price is concerned. Though, as I said, a little bit of that upside gets taken away when everyone's there. And you can see that the Raptors uh, don't want to push him super, super hard, especially with all the news we'd gotten about his knee. So we'll see how that ends up turning out. But that is going to be it for that game. Moving on to the second last game of the night and the first of the 9 p.m. games, we have the Golden State Warriors taking on the Sacramento Kings in a 222.5 game total with the Golden State Warriors slated to win by five points. As far as the injury report's concerned, we continue to have Steph Curry, who is out and is not expected to be back for the regular season. We'll have to see when he's able to come back as far as the postseason's concerned. And James Wiseman, who has also been ruled out for that same period. Uh, so is Igudala, but not as much as part of the regular season rotation. We'll probably see him get more involved once the playoffs do begin on their end. But in those absences, we have seen Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson just absolutely take over the reins as far as the offensive side is concerned. And especially in the case of Clay Thompson, he's really starting to get his stroke back, com- coming off an absolute gem against the Utah Jazz in which he carried the team to victory. 14 of 28 from the field, 48 DK points, eight threes in that game as well. And best of all, he didn't even go to the free throw line once in that. So it was just an absolute shot fest from Clay Thompson getting back to the level that we have seen in years past. And Jordan Poole just continues to be an absolutely impressive force as far as this season is concerned. We'll have to see what the end of year Uh, most improved player rankings do end up saying, but I do think Jordan Poole should find himself somewhere near the top of that as well because he has been absolutely massive for this Golden State Warriors team this year, uh, averaging career high in points. And last two games, he's been on absolute fire from three, hitting 13 of 30 overall from downtown. So well over 40% there with an average of about 57 DK points in that time as well. So he just continues to get all the usage that he loves, all the shots that he wants. And as the major point guard for this team in Steph's absence as well, his usage has just been on absolute lock. He's got a green light. And even though his price is going up to 8,100, I absolutely do love him in this matchup. I said there's a couple of guard options that we've spoken about, but few of them are in that price range with the kind of upside that Jordan Poole has shown. And I like him quite a bit more than Clay Thompson in general, just because of the usage that he brings and Clay being more scoring dependent to be able to go ahead and get his um, his stats up does give a little bit more comfort taking a Jordan Poole as well, who I have been taking pretty consistently for the last little while. I've been avoiding Wiggins in general and uh, Draymond Green, who even though has gotten his minutes restriction off, is playing somewhere near that 30 minutes mark. Uh, I do take him here and there and he's up to 6,000 now as well, but he is coming off two solid games, 39 and 32 DK points in that one. Uh, He did play two games against Sacramento where he has done incredibly well, but you have to keep in mind that Steph Curry was there in those games as well, which changes up a little bit as far as the uh, offensive schemes are concerned where Draymond becomes more of a playmaker as well. 
but definitely 6,000 is a price tag with his center eligibility as well. That makes him someone that you may want to look into given the fact that you can go ahead and slot him into that area and have a guy who's going to have decent usage as far as uh, a, uh, you know, point forward is concerned, which Draymond Green is. Moving on to the Sacramento side of things, and there is where we're seeing more of those injuries continue to rear their ugly head. We know that DeMontis Sabonis is going to be out here. We know that uh, De'Aaron Fox has also been ruled out. Uh, Terrence Davis continues to be. Rashawn Holmes continues to be. And then the rest of it is just the regular rotation that we have been seeing with the Sacramento Kings in general. That being said, it's been Davion Mitchell through and through as the major point guard for them ever since uh, we've seen De'Aaron Fox be out there. And he's really taking advantage of that at 7,700. Definitely someone to keep an eye on. He's had three solid games in which he was over 40 DK points in that one. Even in that Houston game, it was really just the fact that his shot was absolutely off. Three of 13, that prevented him from having another 40 DK points tonight because he did put up a double-double with 10 assists as well, which really does lean into a lot to like as far as that matchup is concerned. And I know I've been speaking a lot about this Golden State Warriors and Sacramento matchup, but it's one that I do expect to have a decent amount of exposure on. One, because everyone loves that late night game to be able to go ahead and throw someone on in there. But it's also expected to be a pretty high scoring one. I actually think it'll beat out that 222 uh, game total pretty comfortably. And there's just a lot of guards at good price tags to be able to go ahead and look at. As far as the rest of the rotation is concerned, the only other guy that I've been playing even somewhat consistently has been Dante DiVincenzo. And of course, he came through in a big way in that Houston game. I don't expect uh, one to be box score chasing on that. I've more been looking at the fact that he can drop 30s pretty consistently. And the problem is he's jumped up to 6,200 as a result of that last game up against the Houston Rockets that he's probably priced himself just slightly outside of my range to be able to feel comfortable going ahead and taking him. But he's definitely someone to be able to keep in mind. Uh, the rest of the rotation has been kind of off and on. I mean, we saw Shimezu Metu get 27 minutes in the last game, which you know was a big jump from the 17 that he got the minutes prior uh, in the game prior. Was able to drop 36 DK points in that one, but just not much that you can trust as far as that rotation is concerned. The only other kind of trusted area has been uh, the uh, Harrison Barnes one where he still continues to play 36 minutes at 6,300 is probably one of the more solid picks that you can make. Not really huge amount of upside over there, but again, it's a guy that you can rely on relatively consistently to be able to go ahead and hit into that mid-30s. Again, on an eight-game slate, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of other options that I can potentially look at that kind of take him away from me, and that kind of leads into Damian Jones as well. I know a lot of people are going to be jumping in on him on the back of two excellent games up against the Houston Rockets, where he dropped 50 DK points in each of those. I expect he's not going to have that same kind of success up against the Golden State Warriors team, in which you have someone like a Draymond taking you off your game, and just so much more as far as defensive schemes are concerned. That people who are going to be chasing that box score, as far as Houston is concerned are likely to find themselves a little bit disappointed. Maybe he can still get into that 30s with uh, his rebounding capability, but I would be worried in taking him at 6,600 with the hope that he'll go ahead and have another massive game. So it's kind of one of those buyer beware if you're spending that. Might as well take Draymond on the other hand for 6,000 less and likely get a better overall performance. But we'll have to see how that actually pans out once the game happens. 
On to the final game of the night, which is the New Orleans Pelicans taking on the Los Angeles Clippers. And this is a game that's also listed at 222.5, and and it's one of the closer ones as far as point spreads concerned, with the LA Clippers slated to win the game by only two points. So pretty much a toss-up. Expected to be a close game all the way through, and the Clippers, who have been getting the benefits of Paul George returning and... You know, some of the other rotation guys really picking up their game. We'll have to see what they can do up against the New Orleans Pelicans, who, and we speak about the fact that the play-in tournament, the the amount of capability to be able to lock in a spot there is important for the Pelicans, who are two games clear of the team in 10th seed, as far as the San Antonio Spurs are concerned, will want to consolidate that position. I expect them to play this game quite tough, while the LA Clippers, who are relatively locked in as far as the 8th seed is concerned, will really just be looking to kind of ensure that they're uh, Nixon Axe and the rest of the rotation continues to play at a high level. As far as injuries are concerned, the Pelicans are by and large good to go. We, we know Zion and Kira Lewis are out and have been for an extended period of time, but beyond that, we've been seeing the regular rotation pieces play play their significant minutes and play quite well as we saw in that uh, New Orleans Pelicans and Lakers games where they had a late rally to go ahead and pull that one out and that probably secures them the 10th seed but we'll have to see how the rest of the uh, last couple of games of the season end up playing out that being said as far as price tags are concerned all of the Pelicans to me are pretty fairly priced I've I'm a bit remiss to pay 8700 up for CJ McCollum in this matchup though Again, CJ is one of those guys where if he can get going on the offensive end, can absolutely smash that as he did against the Lakers where he put up 50 DK points in that one. That being said, he also has that tendency to be able to have those weaker games in which you'll get his floor dropping down into the 30s, which is a little bit of a worry when you're paying you know, top dollar for someone like a CJ. Having said, I wouldn't have any doubts with you going about doing that. Who I do absolutely love in this matchup is Jonas Valanciunas. Now, I spoke about this last time they played each other, too, is that Jonas absolutely owns the Clippers, regardless of who the opposing center is. And even so, with the Zubats there, who Jonas has absolutely been on top of throughout the season. In the three games that he's played against the Clippers, he's put up 54 DK points on average against them and just has been an absolute beast on the boards, putting up nearly 15 rebounds alongside nearly 28 points a game on them as well. So just lots to love as far as his upside is concerned in this matchup i expect they'll go to him early and often and of all these other 8,000 guys that we have on the pelicans between mccall and valanciunas and ingram i am easily on the valanciunas wagon between the three and ingram i've just kind of not been playing all that often in general uh, yes he's coming off an excellent game up against the lakers and at 8,200 for a guy who has the capability to be able to drop 50 and he has done in three of the last five games it just continues to be a guy, though, for me, I've been taking a little bit on the chin. And his price tag now is going up as a result of uh, his recent performances as well. So would not fault you for going about taking that. Uh, the, the small forward position has been one in which, uh, you know, the Clippers haven't been amazing with all their injuries, but now with Paul George back, that does change a couple of things around for their defensive scheme. So I expect that we'll see a lot of Paul George on Brandon Ingram, which is something that takes away that little bit of upside away from Ingram's stat line. So I'll probably be avoiding him, much like I've avoided the rest of the Pelicans roster by and large, but 
Again, he's absolutely been playing well. Is something that to think about. But in an eight-game slate with all of the potential options that we're seeing, all the potential upside, I will likely be putting him away in favor of a Jonas Valanciunas. Finally, on the LA Clippers side to round out our entire slate, as far as injuries are concerned, Kawhi Leonard, Norman Powell, they're out as far as major rotation pieces are concerned. And Brandon Boston Jr., who is also held out with an illness in the last game, is questionable for this one. Though, again, not significant minutes played on that end. As far as the main guys go for the Clippers, though, it's been Paul George, who in the two games that he's come back has looked like he never left. In put up 57 DK points right away in that first game against Utah. And that Chicago one, which is a bit closer, didn't have as good a shooting night, still got up to 39 DK points there as well. But at 9,900, there's just a little bit of concern being able to take a guy in that shooting guard slot only. I wish he did have perhaps some more of that forward eligibility as well, in which case I may see him slotting into one of those positions instead. But at this price tag, I'll probably be avoiding him there. And Covington, who has taken a massive jump. I, mean, I was actually down to take him in that 4,000-ish range when uh, we found out that he was going to be starting up against uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. But he did. Played 46 minutes and erupted for 43 points on his own. Now, that is box score chasing to the absolute max. Please don't do that. At 6,800, absolutely avoid taking him for that price tag. Just too much risk to be able to go ahead and jump into that. If you're looking to spend that kind of money, I'd rather go with Reggie Jackson at 6,300, who continues to be heavy usage for these guys all the time. Even if his shot is not falling, you know he has absolutely no conscience being able to go ahead and continually chuck up 20 plus shots a game. Has done so for the last two games and one of them, in which he did better against Chicago, put up 48 DK points there. But even in the other one where he didn't shoot nearly as well, was still able to put up 34. So that just is a lot more to like as far as his floor is concerned. And at 6,300, there's a lot to like with his price tag. By and large, I've avoided the remainder of the uh, Clippers roster, even though you know, the odd guys have found themselves into good games like Isaiah Hartenstein did in the last one. But again, those minutes rotations, always that little bit of a worry. Uh, if we're going to be seeing... With Jonas on the other side, a little bit more of Zubots than maybe at 5,000. That's someone to consider. But in general, if I am not taking Paul George here, I may see a little bit of action with Reggie Jackson. Yeah, I've worked out there, Action Jackson. But by and large, I go ahead and avoid the Clippers there. And that is going to bring us to the end of that slate. Whew, it's a massive eight-game slate here. So a lot to think about as far as your lineup is set up. But as far as tiers are concerned. So I'm going to caveat this a little bit. First and foremost, if Joel Embiid does end up being ruled out, that absolutely makes James Harden one of my favorites as far as the top tier is concerned. For 10,400 in a matchup that is likely going to be close with uh, Cleveland playing at home, definitely has been doing much, much better at home to be able to uh, go ahead and keep things tight. While Philly, on the other hand, will be relying heavily on James Harden and his usage. So if we're looking at studs, he's going to be the main guy that I am looking at. But if we get into a regular rotation scenario, then I'm going to say that Jonas Valanciunas at 8,600 is going to be my other stud that I'm going to be going super heavy in on. Just given the fact that he's done so well in that matchup is just one that he consistently owns and has himself been on an absolute tear. So 8,600 is a great price tag to be able to jump in on him for. As far as the mid-tier is concerned, I'm going to stick with that Philly-Cleveland matchup, but move on to the Cleveland side where Karis LeVert for 6,500 continues to be one of my favorites at that mid-tier price tag. 
there's not too many guys that you can get who at that 6,000 range can consistently give you that 40 plus DK point upside, but that's what Levert does. For me, it was always about him getting back to his regular minutes, which he has now. As long as the game stays close, he's going to be relied on to be that secondary option, especially with uh, Evan Mobley being ruled out as well. So that just brings more shots his way. And I just love that for his 6,500 price tag. As far as value is concerned, and this as well has been a little bit of you know, back and forth. I'll give a little bit of a caveat here. First and foremost, if we do see that uh, for the Orlando Magic, both Cole Anthony and Franz Wagner are ruled out, then absolutely I am going to be looking a good bit in on either of Markel Fultz or RJ Hampton, probably a little bit more on the RJ Hampton side, just because of the fact that he's going to be playing somewhere between 36 to 40 minutes just to be able to be that major point guard guy for them. Otherwise, we already spoke about how chalk he's going to be. Moses Brown, 4,500 for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Absolutely, you can go ahead and lock him in to be able to get somewhere close to that 30 minutes mark. Probably get you another double-double. Even though uh, he's got Embiid on the other side, there's just too much to like here for that price tag for him not to be in that 30-ish point range. That is it for the tiers. Finally, moving into the Thrive Fantasy side of things, in which we are looking at a couple of different player props over here. The one that I am finding myself liking is going to be one with my Toronto Raptors, with Fred Van Vliet at 5.5 assists for his over to be at 100 points. I think that's a great spot to be able to go ahead and take him. Expect that in this kind of a matchup, we're going to see a lot more guard usage with Fred going up against Kyle Lowry, a lot of back and forth over there. But in general, I expect 6 assists to be something that Fred is able to pass pretty comfortably in this type of a tight matchup, which is going to be a lot more focused on half-court offense. So we'll see how that ends up working out. But that, as they say, is that as we come to an end of a massive and long podcast here. So I thank those for sticking around with me as we have passed the one hour, eight minute mark. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at HAK underscore devil, where you'll get uh, me hopefully taking a picture with uh, the Kyle Lowry statue today. We'll see how that ends up going, but also to be there to engage with you guys as well. So definitely keep sending out those likes, those uh, comments from your side. And for those who are listening on whatever podcast platform you are listening, definitely give us those five stars. It really helps as far as sports ethos is concerned, really continue to get all that great DFS information out there. But until then, that's going to be it for me. We're going to be coming back on the Monday podcast itself, where it's going to be Mike going solo for that one. So you keep an eye out on that. But until then, good luck and let's go out there and crush some GPPs.